Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place. You can easily find the seats you want for the price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek will search multiple ticket sites by grading every ticket based on value. They'll help you immediately identify the best seats that will fit your budget. You can make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports to concerts to comedy and theater. I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and by far it's the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. So I've just done this recently, checking it out on the USC Arizona State game. You know it's coming up this weekend. Check it out. The best seats available for 20 bucks, and you can get the lowest price available. You get seats for $14 if you want. No excuse not to go to this game. SeatGeek will put tickets all over the stadium. You can check it out, and they have some really great prices. Best of all, if you're a listener of this podcast, which obviously you are because you're listening, $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code USC today. That's promo code USC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. we got some... USC football stuff to talk about. Of course, the Trojans falling to the Utah Utes in Salt Lake City, 41-28. We got Dan Weber on the line and Keely Yor here in studio. All three of us were out there. A little chilly that night, but wanted, you know, we got to want to give your thoughts on what we saw out there in Salt Lake City with the USC Trojans and the Utah Utes. If you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or you can call or text us at 424. 254-9141. Two five four nine one four one. All right, let's uh, welcome in Dan on the line. What's up, Dan? How are you? Doing good. Uh, better than USC football, I guess, uh, <laughs> if I can say that. Uh, we'll see. Uh, it's a big. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if we could say anymore. It's a big week or a crucial week or whatever. Uh, after uh, after Saturday, uh, that darn game was so one sided. It should, you know, forty one twenty eight. So doesn't re- represent the uh, you know, the oh, extent yeah. of of that game that uh, you just wonder where do they go from here? I mean, it's almost one of those things where I know Clay keeps talking about they still can win the Pac-12 South and they're tied. It almost seems like that wouldn't be fair if USC somehow backs into the Pac-12 South uh, over Utah just because Utah's had to play a, a really much more difficult, unbalanced schedule the way the Pac-12 was set up. Uh, you just think, gosh, how do you think, you know, I mean, you, you want to win every game, you want to do the best you can, and blah, blah, blah. It just doesn't seem almost right to say, hey, you know, we're the Pac-12 champs, you know, South champs when, when that Utah game happened. Uh, there just isn't any comparison right now between the, you know, the two teams. But, but that's where we are. That's where we are. Uh, that's quite the introduction, Dan. Nice. Uh, and then we also have Keely Yor. What's up, Hello. Keely? My introduction is not long at all. 
That's all right. To your point, Dan, uh, David Woods, who I partner with on the podcast of champions, they do. If you look up Bill Connolly's uh, S&P plus index, all that kind of stuff, they have lots of advanced stats. I put up a story recently about USC and their, uh, the lack of success rate uh, running the football, but really they look at the stats and, and Bill Connolly will give you a percentage of like, Hey, based on what the stats are, this is the percentage this team should win. And this is the percentage this team should win. So sometimes like UCLA, beat Arizona, but Arizona should have won the game looking at all the stats. Like they had a higher percentage. USC's percentage to win that game against Utah was 0%. Utah's was 100%. And it was still only a 13 point game. So it, it, I think people look at it like, Oh, it's 13 point. No, it was way worse than that. I mean, you guys were there, you know, you know? Yeah. It's one of those games where you did not need to look at the tape to tell you (laughs) what happened in that game. And, And that's one of the problems after the game, when you get that, uh, you know, response from all the players you talk to and all the coaches you talk to, you think, what the heck are you guys, you know, thinking? Or what are you saying? Or do you really believe this? We just saw the game. We don't need to see the tape. It's like with Conley's analysis. Uh, all those numbers are really, in, you know, that USC is below 100 in literally every category you can be in in terms of the run game. But does anybody really need you know, to look up those, you know, the advanced stats as good and smart as they are. And that was a great story that you put up to know that. I mean, you just, you could go to practice one day and, and know that this <laughs> team can't run the ball. Uh, but to watch them against uh, Utah, I mean, Utah, I think Utah might have been able to beat USC with just 10 defensive players on the field. I don't think they even needed 11 that game. I mean, wow. it was. It was embarrassing. I mean, you know, it, like everywhere they looked, they had double coverage. Did we see a USC receiver running free? Maybe, you know, once or twice. Uh, and they absolutely couldn't run through. And there were actually a few times there were some holes. This is, that was a game that all of a sudden you realized, man, we really missed D-Land McCullough. Because there were, there were some occasional situations where they actually did create seams. And the USC running back would run right into the, you know, the linebacker that was unblocked instead of following his blocking. That was one of the best things I thought Delane uh, McCullough did last year, is teach the USC running backs where the opportunities were going to come on that first cut through the line of scrimmage and how they had to beat that guy on that first cut. And I don't see that happening at all with these USC running backs. So even when they have some opportunities – they can't make the most of them because clearly, uh, you know, they're not being coached up. There is no running backs coach on this team. And uh, and that hurts when you don't have a run game. Well, I think we should probably just jump right in. We're not going to have a, a really long show today because we got a special uh, treat coming a little bit later. We're taping this uh, right around lunchtime, but we got Colin Coward coming into studio. We're going to do a tunnel vision live with him, so we won't be able to go – a super long on this podcast, but we've had, you know, we had the emergency podcast. We've had uh, Harvey Hyde. So we'll, we'll try to get to some of your main questions and, and move through and uh, get forward with it. And then looking forward to the Arizona State game. But Keely, what do we got first? We got a question from David from behind the orange curtain. He says, in the military, we learned PPP, piss poor practice equals piss poor performance, which got me to thinking. Coach Helton mentioned that they knew Utah was running a lot of cover too. No films required. However, he implied that they could do nothing about it, despite there being multiple different plays to defeat cover two. Is it because the scheme is limited or because they don't practice the alternative plays? Don't practice alternatives, can't play alternatives. So let me guess which defensive scheme ASU runs. Well, 
I mean, I guess the thing with the they were shocked at how much cover two U.S. or Utah ran, according to uh, T. Uh, you know that that had been basically just their obvious pass situation coverage, and that they were going to be able to run that uh, you know all night and still you know shut down the USC run game. I think was uh, was a big shock for USC, and I, you know I think T finds himself in a really difficult position. He doesn't coach the offensive line. He doesn't coach the running backs. And he basically feels like, you know, we have to be able to run the ball. I mean, if you can't run the ball, they can devote extra, uh, an extra man to defend the pass. That leaves you with pretty much no, you know, options uh, at that point. And yet still, USC made the best of it by scoring 14 points on two, you know, kind of fluky plays. But, you know, you, you, you score them, you, you get out in front, and, and then you make something happen. And they couldn't do it at all uh, in, in that game. So, I don't know. It doesn't look like they're able to adjust in games. And, and I know T was kind of, you know, well, this is another team. They changed everything they were doing, uh, you know, for our game. Well, you know, that's why maybe USC focuses so much in preparation on what the other team does. What if they don't do what you think they're going to do? What you have is what happened at Utah. And so I think, you know, this is where the, the philosophy ought to be, what does USC do well? How do we get ready to do what we do really well? Make you stop us rather than us try to, you know, always react to what you do. And, and, and the kids think that way because they will tell you, wow, we didn't know they were going to do that or we didn't see that on film and we just, didn't know what to do. You know, those were where we just, you know, had missed assignments and all that. Although in this game, apparently, even with uh, Utah doing what USC didn't expect they were going to do, USC didn't have a lot of missed assignments. They just got beat. I mean, they basically got beat one-on-one everywhere you went. I mean, they just, nobody won any battles uh, on offense. And um, it's the miracle is they ended up putting 28 points on the board. And, Utah basically gave them at least three of those touchdowns, and you could almost say four. Uh, but, you know, it was, uh, it was not a good performance for the USC offense. And, and, and they, I think they have to just totally rethink about how they approach the game. Uh, get, be able to do what you need to do. And right now, they absolutely can't run the ball, and they don't work in practice, or they didn't work in you know, preseason or any time all year on running the ball. Uh, the way you have to be able to, you know, execute and the way you have to physically, uh, you know, be able to attack people. And, and they do not attack people at all in the run game. We got a voicemail question for you. This is a little long, but I'll play it since uh, we got some frustrated fans. Hey, this is Trent from Chandler, Arizona. I uh, just wanted to kind of hit on the state of the program right now. Um, you know, you, you guys got a little upset during the emergency podcast that fans were kind of calling for everyone's job but at the same time I mean we also see the recruiting rankings and see where USC compares to other teams and I just feel like we're watching the Los Angeles Rams with Jeff Fisher right now I mean that they're just simply not performing and you know things don't seem to fit what the skill set of the roster is um, it obviously the offense looks like it runs a little smoother with Matt Fink in the game than it does with JT Daniels. And I think part of that has to do with um, Fink's ability to run. Now, 
may, that's not to say that Fink's a better quarterback than JT Daniels or a better option to play, but that just means that the, I don't think the coaching staff is tailoring the offense to JT Daniels enough that they're not um, giving him the plays to be successful. Um, I'm excited to see Jack Sears this week, but a uh, question for you guys, do you think his abilities are going to be somewhat limited because they know he can't get hurt? Um, you know, We know his one of his big skills is being able to run, but um, if, if they can't turn him loose, then it's going to be uh, – I'm sure the offense won't look as good as it should. Um, you know, hopefully things get better, uh, and hopefully the offensive line can run block, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just keep going. Fight on. Okay. The problem is <clears throat> when you begin a sentence with the word, hopefully, uh, <laughs> as Clay Helton often does, as you just did, Hopefully they'll be able to run block. The line will be able. No, they're not. There's no hope that they're going to be able to run block. Uh, this is uh, something that's basically taken a couple of years to develop. But this is what happens, and this is why I think the trajectory. When you start measuring USC coaches over the years, and you look at, uh, you know, and, and much of the the talk about Clay was, hey, you know, won a Rose Bowl his first year, uh, uh, Pac-12 championship his second year uh 21 and 6 record or whatever it was uh but the problem is where are you in that third year i mean uh uh john mckay Pete carroll uh john robinson all won national championships in their third year howard jones won a national championship in his fourth year so those are the coaches that they measure you by at usc uh because th- you know, the thinking is USC is one of those programs, and there might be six, seven, eight of them in the country, that if you have the right coach, you can win a national championship. There aren't many of those. And uh, uh, the thinking is you're either that guy or, you know, as long as USC keeps saying, as they are, uh, that the national championship, competing for a national championship is one of the, you know, goals every year, uh, you can't be on a downward trajectory. You can't be on year three heading south. Uh, you know, so that's where, that's where this program is. Is this clearly not uh, a program that's geared up, you know, to win a national championship? Uh, and yet it is a, uh, the number four ranked, uh, you know, roster in the country according to, uh, uh, you know, the 24 seven composite rankings. USC started the year with 52 four- and five-star players. Utah started the year with seven. USC was number four in the uh, composite recruiting, uh, you know, roster rankings. Utah was number 44. And yet they basically obliterated USC. Uh, They were way more athletic and aggressive and confident and, and knew what they wanted to do. I mean, it, it would be impossible to if you brought somebody from outside and said, which team do you think has the higher-ranked higher, higher ranked roster? There's no way you could pick USC. They, did, you know, they didn't do anything with, uh, with much confidence, except you know, some of the defensive guys you know, in a game where they had to play uh, 81 plays. Uh, you know, that's, a tough, that's a tough challenge. And USC is very fortunate. Right now, they're two best defensive players are Talanoa Hafanga and uh, Paula Ie uh, Nialteote, and those two weren't even starting at the beginning of the year, which tells you, you know, 
five-star rankings matter. They probably should have been in there sooner. But, uh, but you know, USC has got some issues. And, for example, you talk about the quarterback, uh, you know, Matt Fink uh, running the ball, that's not the way USC is probably going to be able to get itself back in the game. The same with, uh, with Jack Sears. And you make a great point that if Jack Sears is the guy, which means that uh, JT Daniels hasn't come out of concussion protocol, that really does create an issue uh, if you're one deep at quarterback with a guy who hasn't played year, this year. Uh, my guess would be, like uh, Palaia last week, JT uh, will be ready to go. Uh, how it affects his, his practice, I mean, uh, quarterbacks don't get hit anyway. They already have a yellow jersey on. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see today, tomorrow, you know, what they do. Uh, the fact that they're going to have to be a little uh, or a lot more simple in their preparation and focus on, you know, basic things they can do well, that's got to probably help other than the whole grab bag approach to just let's grab this play and maybe grab that play and maybe this will work. And may, uh, so it, it should, you know, focus, uh, focus their minds a little bit better. You know, that old saying about when they, you know, march you out onto the, uh, you know, under the, uh, uh, on the gallows, it has a tendency to focus your mind really, uh, you know, clearly on what's coming up. And I think USC is in that place where they're, you know, they're in a place where their minds better be focused, uh, this week. And, uh, I just don't know. We haven't seen that this year. We have a question from Eric in Duck Country who says, do you ever get the feeling that this team quits when things don't go their way? I'm sorry for criticizing these young men when I'm just a fan sitting on the couch. Well, I think, Eric, what happens is the realization sets in that what we're trying to do does not work. It's not going to work. What they're doing is they are way more uh, prepared than we are. Uh, If you're playing against, for example, you're out there on the field against Utah and you realize – you don't have a tailback that can outrun either of their two inside linebackers. What are you going to do? I mean, you know, even if you do create a seam, they're going to run you down. Uh, they're doubling up on most of the coverage. So, uh, you know, you don't have anybody open to throw. I mean, you know, JT was trying to throw the ball between, you know, two defenders so often uh, there was no, there were no windows. And then, you know, whenever they wanted to, if they brought anybody, JT didn't have any time. I mean, the mismatch between the Utah defense and the USC offense was so great that uh, you'd have had to, if you were USC, you would have had to think, we need to pick up maybe two more uh, scooping scores. We need to block about three punts. And they need to fumble a couple uh, deep in their own territory. That's all. Maybe that'll get us back in the game. Yeah, right. I mean, what, there was no other way for USC to get back in the game. They couldn't tackle Huntley. Uh, obviously, the difference in athletes between Colorado and Utah showed up. Last week, you could make those you know, tackles in, in, in space and those you know, one-handed grabs and all that. This week, uh, you couldn't against Huntley and uh, uh, Zach Moss. They just ran right through them. Uh, and again, there's a difference between USC playing at home where they're confident and playing on the road where they're not. And, um, so almost nothing they tried to do, uh, you know, worked. And, uh, so do they, I don't know that they would actually say they give up. I just think there's a, a reality sets in 
and they say, hey, we're on the road. These guys are really good. I mean, that's what, you know, that's what used to happen uh, to teams playing USC, where I don't think they quit. They just said, man, these guys are a lot better than we are. What's the point? We'll, we'll come back next week and try to win next week. And that's what you want people to do when, you know, uh, when you're USC, you should be in the place where you make other teams do that, not have Utah do that to you. Uh, go ahead. With, real quick before we jump into more of these questions, I just wanted to thank uh, Trader Joe's. I know the home game's coming up. It's a 1230 game, everyone. 1230. Ooh. That's tough to tailgate. But you can go over to Trader Joe's and pick up some cool stuff. I actually went in when I did my shopping this last week. I picked up these uh, chicken soup dumplings. Uh, I love dumplings, like any kind of dumpling things. And they're really quick. You microwave them. It's like two minutes. I put a little soy sauce on them. Man, they were really good. So I, I just go through Trader Joe's, walk through. You always find some cool stuff. Uh, something different, something new. Uh, I did that this last week, but they've been great with us. They give us the bags and and everything. And you can, if you're over on campus, just walk over to the new U- USC uh, University Village. It's pretty awesome. And the Trader Joe's there is pretty awesome. Keely, I know you wish you had that when you were in school. Yeah. I had to drive 20 minutes to Trader, 30 minutes to Trader Joe's oh, as a student. So I'm nice. jealous. <laughs> Nice. Hey, with the early with the early start Saturday, you can get a Trader Joe's after the game. True. I mean, I uh-huh. think that's the, you know, I mean, I, uh, you know, put put that into your, uh, you know, your game plan for Saturday. You know, if you if you if you don't want to get up in daybreak in order to get there before the game, you could uh, head there after the game. If you just want to, you know, some people might need to get like a bottle of wine or a six pack just to, you know. Drown their sorrows if it depends how this game goes. We'll oh see. boy. Oh boy. It could be bad. I don't know. We'll see. We have a question from Richard Lara who says if other colleges and even NFL teams can fire coordinators mid season, there's no reason for USC to keep T with his horrible play calling. This is the first season I'm embarrassed to be a Trojan fan. Ooh. See, I think I think it's it's just too easy to personalize it. Uh if you can't execute the play, if you can't run the ball at all. You don't, it doesn't set up anything else you're trying to do. And so to say, oh, it's, it's horrible play calling. And, and, you know, we, we talk about grab bagging, uh, in terms of just grabbing a play out of the bag and, and then grabbing another one and grabbing. I don't know what else you do. I mean, uh, so, you know, I, I, I think it's just too easy to say, uh, that this is on this guy coaching this position or that guy doing, you know, coordinating that. I think. I think we, I think we probably do that too much. I think you know basically it you know the the, the program is is the responsibility of one person and the practices are the responsibility of one person. And sure, you might not be able to replace a Delan McCullough with the way he specifically coached the running backs. He was sensational. Uh, as I noticed, uh, looks like Kansas City's doing pretty well this year. Uh, so uh, it's hard to replace a guy like that. But I don't know that the assistant coaches can make it or break it in terms of, uh, you know, if you brought in the best play caller in the country, if they don't practice any differently from the way they practice now, I'm not sure what would it, what, what it would matter. Uh, you know, I just, I don't know. Uh, I think there just has to be a, a change in, you know, kind of philosophy. And, and, and I think what you assume, and, and I know what I assume even is you're going to learn uh, from what you didn't get done last year. And you're going to be able to build on that. And what we see is a regression. We see them not learning and going the other direction. And, and, and it's something that over the over time, uh, guys have gotten worse. 
I mean, I think the offensive line is, you know, and the same guys who were playing two years ago and last year aren't as good this year. That doesn't happen very much in college football. Usually you see a kind of a, a progression, not a regression, but uh, this is really uh, uh, with players at the level that they came into USC and with the hopes of most of those guys of going to the NFL and to see where they are now. And it's, uh, it's pretty shocking, I think. It is. Uh, we got another voicemail question. I'll play this one for you. Hi, Ryan. This is Jackson SF, a long-time listener to the program. Some people are mentioning that Clay Helton should get another year and that he should be forced to change over his coaching staff. I realize that Brian Kelly and Nick Saban have occasionally and voluntarily changed over their coaching staffs, yet they have a track record of success and have, have appeared in national title games. Question. Please let me know a situation where the a head coach has been forced, and I stress forced, to make changes, changes and has been successful. My guess is that Clay will not overhaul his coaching staff unless forced to do so. Second, what quality of coordinator would sign on for Clay's fourth year as head coach? I am certain that any coordinator worth his weight in salt would command a minimum two-year deal at $1 million plus. Would our administration do this? Lastly, would Clay want to hire a coordinator so good who could perhaps take his job? Thank you. Bye-bye. Really, really smart points. Uh, <laughs> excellent points. It's uh, hard to, hard to, you know, uh, second guess any of those. I think, you know, the idea of the only way I think an offensive coordinator could come in here is if he could basically tear up the whole offense and start over again. Uh, and, and, and that would be fine. But then how would that play out on the practice field? You know, how does that play out in no pads November? Or no pad, you know, no full pads Wednesday or what. It, it just doesn't work. Or, you know, we're going to mostly go against the, you know, the scout guys who are, who are standing there. Uh, I just don't know. And, and obviously, uh, you know, that guy, if he is the right guy, uh, you know, I think, you know, a million is probably low if he's, you know, if he's one of those, uh, acknowledged absolute expert, you know, you couldn't hire a better guy. And obviously he would ask for two years, maybe more. And, you know, with the state of the program now, I can't even imagine them giving any assistant coach a multiple-year contract, uh, you know, after this year. So uh, so I think, you know, you make the, you make the point. Um, I, I don't know that you, uh, you improve this program necessarily by starting at the bottom and, and working up. Uh, I mean, I think they're to the point where this is all about the head coach and uh, – and, and I think that's where you have to make the decision and, uh, and, and, and not, you know, start, you know, saying get rid of this guy or get rid of that guy. Uh, I think the way the whole thing goes together, I mean, it'd be hard to come in and, and coach the offensive line if you uh, have them walking around not in pads much of the time. Uh, you know, this isn't the NFL. They need, they need a different, you know, type of coaching. And, and with some of the coaches – I'm not even sure why that's not happening. I, I, I don't know when you look at Coach Callaway's uh, track record, for example, where he's been and what he's done. I, it's inexplicable to me, uh, the product we're seeing on the field right now. I, I just I don't have a good answer. Same with, you know, Coach Drebno. Uh He's the run game coordinator. 
Uh, it's just, it's, it's hard to imagine, you know, I mean, you know, Michigan may not have had a great offense before, uh, you know, when he was there, but they could run the ball. It might not have had a quarterback. Uh, uh, this USC team can't even begin to, uh, to run the ball is, uh, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a reflection of how they practice. I don't think there's any question. It's a reflection of how, how they've approached the game in the last few years, but, uh, but it, it's it's worse than you could have ever imagined that it could have been. And those numbers, if you haven't read Ryan's story, read it and you just shake your head and just say this, this is almost impossible to uh, imagine that, that it's happening. We have a question from Gregorio from Mexico. He says, why, does, why did Lynn Swan feel so compelled to extend Helton's contract last year? Were there any other programs trying to poach him? What's the story there? I think the story was uh, – uh, it was more of a recruiting deal uh, uh, to try to assure people that they were recruiting uh, that he would be around. And, you know, you had some, obviously some really big time five-star players. And I think that was more the issue than anything. Uh, just say to say, Hey, you know, the program's going to be fine and we're keeping everybody in place and you don't have to worry. And here's a way of, of showing that. I don't know. I don't think it was necessarily, a uh, you know uh, uh, commendation of how the coaching was going. I think it was more of and USC's done this you know over the years where recruiting comes in. I think uh, you know Lane Kiffin basically was hired because he was the guy that could save the recruiting class. And uh, you know Lane Kiffin, I think uh, you know when it came to the end of his time, was trying to get you know more years so he could recruit and say I'm going to be here and. And, and that wasn't going to happen. Uh, so, so I think that was the issue more than, you know, we're standing behind how we see this program going on a day-to-day basis. And I'm not sure the years were all guaranteed. Uh, I would be very surprised if uh, the additional years were, were guaranteed. Uh, and USC doesn't have to reveal that as a private school, but uh but I'm not sure that USC extended it in the way where other schools do, and they're really uh, uh, stuck with a tremendous buyout. I, do not, I don't think that's the case at USC. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. Um, we got one last voicemail question about a specific player. Get your thoughts on what I like. Hi, guys. Thanks for all you do. This question is for Dan. If I were Levi Jones, I'd be pretty frustrated right now. He has had much higher PFF grades than his counterpart, been in the top 10 for all five weeks for which we got PFF grades, and scored PFF grades of 80-plus the last two weeks. He also has three tackles for loss with significantly less playing time than his counterpart, who has zero. Despite all of this, he is still struggling for playing time. Like you said, if the playbook's the problem, change the playbook. When you compound this with the fact that he most likely won't start until his senior year, still has a redshirt year available, is from Texas, his high school friend is the Texas quarterback, both Texas A&M and Texas look like they're on much better trajectories, the Trojan coaching staff has clearly gotten this wrong with players like Jamel Cook and Carrie Angeline. By the way, how nice would it be to have those guys right now? It seems like he may be a pretty big flight risk. I'd be interested to get your thoughts. Fight on, Jason and Longhorn Country. Yeah, just one more really smart, uh, you know, question. With you, <laughs> there's nothing in there that you didn't get right, except for the fact that I know people, you know, come down on uh, on John Houston, but 
Man, he had 15 tackles the other day. I mean, is there a way to get both of them on the field? I know USC also has said that, you know, they may have to set Palaia down if uh, if Cam Smith comes back. Again, is there not a way that you can, you know, divide up the reps uh, somehow? Or, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's kind of a bad break. But, uh, and I know Levi's grades have been great, and he does make big plays. But uh, uh, watching John Houston, you know, 15 tackles in any game, is is a heck of an accomplishment. I, I think it, it, you know. I think it's a t- uh, you know it's a tough deal. And USC tends to go with the veteran guy and say, well, he knows my system a little bit better than this guy does. And and then you know that was the rap that you know Palia and um, and uh, Talanoa weren't considered starters right away. I mean, how, it isn't often you get two. I would say both of those guys were legitimately top 10 players in the entire country coming out of high school last year. I don't think there's any question now. And yet, you know, they were kind of, you know, Talanoa doesn't play unless three guys ahead of him, you know, are gone now. And um, uh, I think they've got to, they've got to do a better job with that. And as you say, you know, the Texas football looked pretty good to a kid from Austin. Yeah, I would think so. Um, uh you know, I don't know that. Don't, you know, want to even, you know, Levi's you know, looks like he really loves being a, you know, a Trojan. I mean, he'd obviously love being on the field more. Uh, yes, he's got to figure some of that out. And I think that, you know, right away, no question about it. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I, it'd be something to be thinking about if I'm USC. We have a question from Scott in Brentwood who kind of summarizes a lot of the questions that we've gotten so far. He says, do we know anything about how the USC administration is reacting to this subpar performance year after year with our team? Obviously, Nakia stepping down has led to a leadership vacuum, but do we know if Lynn Swan or the interim president or the board of trustees cares that we consistently underperform with the talent we have? Um, Saying the word USC administration and asking what they think, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, it's almost a contradiction in terms uh, at this point, I would think. Uh, you know, basically, you know, they're caretakers uh, at this point. Uh, as far as Lin Swan, yeah, I don't think we have it. I mean, the last time Lin Swan talked really specifically about the football program was right after the Rose Bowl, and he wasn't happy. And that was it. I mean, he wasn't happy that, you know, sure, they won the Rose Bowl, but they didn't win the Pac-12 championship, and they weren't, you know, in the, in the hunt for, a, a, you know, a national title. That's about the last thing we've ever heard, you know, from Lynn. Lynn has basically not, uh, you know, shared any, uh, you know, any thoughts. And, you know, somebody said, oh, you know, I was on an elevator with Lynn, and he, you know, kind of backed the, the coaches. Like, what's he going to do? You know, oh, yeah, on this elevator, I'm going to tell you, what we're going to do about the football coaching staff. Yeah, he's going to do that. Uh, so, no, we we really don't know. We know that uh, there, there is no president. We know if you're talking about, you know, any buyout, even though I'm sure they could get somebody to, you know, pony up for the buyout, which can, can compared to a lot of the others recently would not be a significant number. Uh, but then do you have the, uh, you know, the, the situation of figuring out, well, now the new guy, here's what we're going to have to pay him. That becomes 
because he's the highest paid person at the University of Southern California. So the new president um, probably has to have a say in, in what those numbers are. Now, I'm sure you could justify it if you say, you know, this week at the Arizona State game, if they get into the 50,000s, it would be the fourth straight home game with the attendance in the 50,000. And that would be kind of an accomplishment, I think, if they get over 50,000 this week at a 1230 start. But that would be something that we have, you know, haven't seen at USC in this century, basically, uh, four crowds in the 50,000. And that's, that's a lot of money. I mean, if, if, and, and, you know, they'll, they'll have a, probably a sellout for Notre Dame, but a, a, another 50,000 crowd for Cal. Uh, so, you know, the, the income is, is really off. I think uh, Steve Loeb said that uh, USC's income was something like three or so million, three and a half million more last year than uh, the year before. And basically attributed that to one extra home game, which was the Texas game. Well, that didn't happen this year. And so I'm thinking the, the uh, income is going to be off significantly more than whatever it is you would have to pay a new football coach. But can you do that at the level of, you know, the athletic department with no one above to report that to who's, you know, other than an interim president, um, I, I don't know how, you know, how you make that work, uh, you know, at this point. It's uh, using the word UC, USC administration. I mean, let's face it, <laughs> they've, got, they've got so much to deal with in terms of uh, the settlement, uh, you know, for Dr. Tyndall and, and stuff that's still, you know, reverberating about the medical school dean, um, that the USC football coaching situation is probably not on the front burner right now. We have another question in the same vein from Ashley. She says, I wonder how the mega donors are going to respond next year in their new crazy expensive luxury suites. When this hot mess of a team is on the field, AD Swan may come into the light and make changes when the very big dog, very big money dogs are embarrassed in front of their friends with what they're seeing from their Coliseum luxury suites. Money talks loudly. Well, yeah, it does everywhere, and and USC has catered to that maybe even more so than some with the renovation of the Coliseum. So, uh, yeah, those ten million dollar luxury suites might not be worth nearly as much if uh, if the team you know keeps doing what it's doing now. I mean, it's obviously hey, you, you know, you you want to be a big shot and invite your customers or your friends or whatever to a, a USC game. And they basically say, eh, nah, no, I don't, nah, I don't want to go. Uh, that doesn't do you much good, you know, with, uh, you know, all that investment that those people put into the luxury boxes and USC has put into the luxury boxes. I'm not sure you could, you know, cater uh, 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 a renovation of the Coliseum to those people and then not have a product that those people really care about going to see. I mean, let's face it, it's L.A., uh, you know, you want to go out and watch the stars and you want to go out and watch the, you know, the marquee people. And if most of those people were, would be saying things like, well, if I could use the box for the Rams games, I, I, that'd be really cool. But, uh, when the USC game is like, gee, why would I want to go there? Um, I think it's a tough deal, you know, going forward for those, those mega donors. And, and, you know, I think, 
some of them will get involved with, uh, with the coaching situation. Some of them are going to have to in terms of things like a buyout or underwriting a new coach. We saw what happened over at UCLA this past year. And, uh, I would think that's, uh, that's the pattern. It's been the pattern at USC, I think, uh, over the years at times, uh, and probably will be again. There's a big, um, I mean, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot to unpack with the leadership, the lack of leadership there with Lin Swan, this being his first time doing anything. And he's really more of a CEO as the athletic director than really running things. And with the Coliseum renovation stuff going on, I mean, we could see big donors pulling out of their, you know, pledge to buy those seat, you know, buy those boxes and things like that. I mean, I think there's a lot. When the big money's talking, I think people are going to listen. So it's just it's just another it's a typical USC thing. We just don't know exactly how this is going to play out because it's so <laughs> crazy. Like, why do you not have a president, and why do you have an athletic director that's not been there before, and why is the third year of this coach you know coaching staff going in the wrong direction? There's just all these things that bad decisions were made a couple years ago, and now you're kind of, they're all coming to light, and I uh, just don't know where it's going to end up. But there, I. I think the point is about the big donors. If people are pulling out or are upset that are the big money donors for the Coliseum, then I think things will be forced to change. But otherwise, it's I'm kind of, you know, I was leaning towards it. Something would happen. And now it's like with the lack of leadership, it just it just might fall through the cracks. I don't know. Really? You flip flop now because before on the emergency podcast, you were like the writings on the wall. It looks like it now. Not so much. I think they should. I mean, obviously, I, the way it's going, I think something should change. Um, I think if it's really bad, something will change because then big money will be going on. But if it's kind of like mediocre bad, I, I'm I'm kind of going back less less likely that something changes. I don't know. I mean, just the the whole leadership thing. The more people I've talked to, it's just like there is a void there with no president, and I think that's a a major problem, especially without you know with you have an athletic director that's it's his first time through. He He's has never done never this been an athletic director no. before. Yeah. Maybe don't do well, that next time. Yeah, and I, I think part of the problem is uh, the board, uh, the board of trustees. There's so many more people on it, and uh, I think in the old days, you could get a nucleus of that board that really, really cared about football. I think you know today it's such a worldwide board with people that you know maybe don't know you know football from a pumpkin uh, that football doesn't you know, impact them all that much, and, and some of that's a reflection of USC just getting bigger and stronger and more, you know, uh, academic impact and more of a, you know, top 20, 25 national university. And, 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 and you look at the campus and, and you look at where the, you know, the student body comes from and all that. And it's getting farther away from a, you know, a, a school that has uh, a football focus. And I don't think there's any question that USC is USC because of the way football impacted the university in the twenties. I don't think there's any, uh, you know, disputing that football put USC on the map, uh, and, you know, the, and changed the, the you know, the history of, of this, of this school. Uh, but it's not in the same place you know, now. Uh, and even without a president, if things got to crisis proportions, I think the board, in the old days would have been able to act and there would have been enough people on that board who would have said, we got to do something now. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the case that you could get a nucleus uh, of the board together uh, to say, 
okay, we don't have a president yet, but we have to decide what, what the future of football is. It's too important with the Coliseum renovation coming online. And, uh, you know, it, it's just a part of USC that's always been there. And we've got to, you know, we've got to get it squared away. I don't know. I think Ryan, you know, is right there that, that there may not quite be that uh, cohesiveness among whoever the decision makers are at USC uh, to get it done. I think, you know, and the other problem at USC is the level down from uh, from when President Nikias was, I just don't have a lot of confidence in those people uh, all the way across the board, uh, that next level down. And they're what's left now. And uh, I just think there's a hesitancy at USC to make any moves, uh, to, to say, hey, we have to do this. You know, life is good. Things are going well in so many ways at USC. I don't think there are people who want to rock the boat and, and, and say, no, this, we got to do something about this now. I just don't, I don't see that. And so, um, you know, the, the money people from the outside could have an impact there, but, uh, but it, it's not exactly that there's a, a single target at USC that they could have an impact on. Uh, and, and does USC have the ability to, to make those kinds of decisions? Uh, I'm guessing the lawyers have made the decision in terms of, of structuring a uh, settlement uh, you know, for the, uh, you know, the USC uh, doctor cases. But, uh, but I don't know. The lawyers aren't going to make the decision about football. So I don't know how that decision gets made exactly. Unless Lynn just says, hey, I'm making this. This is, we're going to make it work. I'm going to get it all lined up financially. We'll have it all squared away. Even without a president, this makes sense. And, and here are the numbers. You know, this is what we lost in football this year. This is what, you know, it will cost us, but we will make that money back and all that. I think you could do that, but that would require Lynn to be a really active, uh, you know, participant in the process, something we haven't seen in his uh, three years here. We've gotten multiple questions about this, Dan. I know we can all see a scenario where USC just back ends itself into the Pac-12 championship and things on the surface maybe look all right, but what would it take for basically everything to hit the fan and, and for heads to roll? Like how bad would this season have to get for it would for to make people uncomfortable enough to make a, a drastic move? I just read an email from somebody who said, how about 63 to nothing in the Notre Dame game? Oh boy. That'll get it done. And I don't know where he picked up the number 63, but uh, anyway, um, and, you know, and, and people say, well, if that doesn't happen, What's the number going to be when they get to Alabama in the, uh, you know, 2020 opener? Um, so, uh, you know, does that get it done? I don't, I, I, I don't know. Uh, and I know people could say, well, John McKay got beat 51 or nothing by Notre Dame. So, you know, well, they did something about that. Um, you know, yeah. And could, you know, Utah get upset by somebody, you know, and I don't know if a, I think Oregon beating Utah at Utah would be an up, upset to some extent. But, you know, crazy things that happen. It could snow like crazy at the uh, Utah-Colorado game. And, you know, the better team doesn't win that game. So Utah, I mean, they're not a guarantee to win their last four games. And USC has a lot better shot, although right now you wouldn't even want to say, hey, that UCLA game is a gimme at the Rose Bowl. I don't, you know, I don't think that's the case at all right now. So 
So if USC, you know, would rally and win the, you know, the last four, uh, I don't know, you know, Notre Dame, as well as they, you know, play sometimes uh, some of their road games and, you know, even a, their home game against Ball State and, and, and Pitt, they were not world beaters. So who knows, uh, you know, how this is going to finish out. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I was thinking going into this year, if you don't win the Pac-12 South, you have no argument to make about where, what you're doing coaching this team. You have, and now, you know, it'll be kind of a, a real break if they win the Pac-12 South. So if you can't win the worst um, division in Power 5 football with the number four ranked roster in the nation, something's really wrong. Uh, and, and changes have to be made. And, and one of the, the things about this uh, coaching staff is they're not changing stuff. I mean, they, they basically, you know, believe that we figured it out. We're doing the right things. We just have to do them better or whatever it is. I, they don't ever quite exactly close that circle in terms of, you know, we know what we're doing. We've figured it out. We're, we're approaching this the right way. Something just is a disconnect. Uh, so how do you, they don't seem to know what the disconnect is. So how do you make it connect if you don't really know, you know, what the, what the disconnect is? But, uh, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think they're a gimme to win Saturday. Um, you know, uh, you would think Cal and Oregon state be hard to figure out how to, you know, go wrong there. But, uh, but, uh, the UCLA game again, so I think they've got two that, are, that aren't gimmies and, uh, and then Notre Dame. So, uh, uh, I think things could go bad, but what, you know, what, just losing the Pac-12 South is about as bad as it can go. If you can't win the Pac-12 South, uh, something, especially with Utah being handicapped with a much more difficult Pac-12 schedule, uh, then something's wrong. Yeah, I think there's some bad things that could happen. You could lose the, not win the South, which is, you know, it's a horrible division that shouldn't happen. Um, losing to UCLA would be would be bad, and losing badly to Notre Dame. I think losing to Notre Dame is as bad as losing badly because that's a playoff sort of team. You know, maybe losing like a Herm Edwards or something like you know this weekend would get some attention. But I, I think those three things: if you lose, if you don't win the South, if you lose to either one of your rivals, that's probably going to be um, it's going to be bad. Wait, but. here, I, not uh, you just made me think. I think what Keeley was asking for. If you lose to UCLA and Notre Dame back to back, oh, goodbye. Well, if you lose to UCLA, you're losing to Notre Dame. Like, there's no. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess Good it's point. possible, but that's. Uh, I mean, UCLA's won two games there, but they're tied for first in the in the loss column, at least in the Pac-12 South. Everybody except Arizona State has two losses, right? So, um, what what a clown show! Yeah, yeah. it's pretty. It's pretty bad and you know but usc has the best win in the conference beating washington state so you got that that's the weird thing about although that team. one goes with, yeah so that but the problem there is that's the asterisk game that's the game that the pac-12 stole from uh washington state with oh, the yeah. quarter gust and no call so that one doesn't even count right is that, <laughs> that's what we're hearing that doesn't count yeah that doesn't count that's where as much as at times you say god i kind of like that mike leach guy you say what a creep I need to act like one one play, uh, and and to never mention the no call on uh, on JT Daniels and how that might have impacted the game, and that's just uh, 
yeah, he's got the Pac-12 in a bad situation and he's going to grind it in on him. But uh, to, to anybody who says the Pac-12 is afraid of USC, they'll never do anything against USC. That tells you all you need to know about the uh, folks who I probably am not the biggest fans of at Washington State. I mean, they're too far away from the real world. Washington State, yeah. No. Yeah, if you really think that the Pac-12 is afraid of or favors USC, you really are living in a cave somewhere. Because uh, I mean, that's just that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy talk. Yeah, and the, and the way Keeley was complaining about everything up there. A couple no, of stop! Do not way, involve me know, in this controversy again. The field again. Do you notice yeah. they rush the field again? They and they did. say, oh, I think they're going to get another $25,000 fine. They should get a $250,000 fine. I mean, it's about the third or fourth time they've rushed the field in a year and a half. I mean, come on. Uh, it's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, Are you and Keely with Washington No, do not involve me in this. I am not a part of this. Wazoo, do not tweet at me. I'm not a part of this. I, all I can say is I love going to the Kook. The Kook is a great bar up there. That's a lot. Of, that's fun. Um, all right. Well, we'll, well, I guess we'll wrap this up. Uh, that's Dan Weber. So great stuff. We'll see yeah. how to practice a little bit later today. And Keely, your, you what? I don't know what your hatred about Washington State is. <laughs> Tweet at, at Keely is my name. No, <laughs> stop. <laughs> I, I will say this. I got mad that, that Keely basically had to, uh, you know, avoid getting, you know, landed on and jumped on and run. Uh, uh, and we were just lucky to be able to find her equipment after she had to evacuate. I mean, it was like, uh, you know, marauding uh, whatever had, had run through your camp. And then you have to go back and see, I wonder if it's still there. And all I mean, that was that, was, that should never have happened. And it sure shouldn't be happening again. And uh, and when you say the Pac-12 favors one school, I think one school has gotten a pretty good deal from the Pac-12 if all you get is a $25,000 fine uh, every time you do it. Uh, that's not good. All right. Well, let's, uh, we'll end on that note. That's Dan. <laughs> that's Keely. Uh, I'm Ryan. Thanks for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and uh, we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.